Hey folks, we're back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, episode 136. Everybody, welcome back. It's a good life, Jeff and Jill's Tales from New Orleans, yeah. episode one thirty six. Welcome back to producer millennial uh, Spencer. Everybody, hey guys, I'm back. Uh, we've got no housekeeping because we have a very special guest in the house. Right, that's Jeff? right. Right, Spencer, uh, Mr. Ben Jaffe. What's up, Ben? How hey. are you? Good, doing great, man. Thank you for swinging yeah. by. It's good to be here. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, do you know much about the, what we do here with our podcast? Or? Uh, you know, I I just know what I've been able to dig up online. Yeah, and what you know what my my peeps tell me. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, we're doing okay then. Maybe. Yeah, you're doing great. Are you oh, kidding good. me? Okay. You're doing it. <laughs> so I mean, you know, you live in New Orleans. You're doing better than like you know, ninety nine percent of the world. Well, we should. I showed yeah. up two minutes before being late. <laughs> so there, there's something there. Ben, I want to ask you a question. Um, did you? You grew up in the French Quarter. Yes, that's true, right? That's yeah. not a question; that's a statement. But uh, so you grew up in the in the French Quarter. Did you go to public school as mm -hmm. a kid in the French Quarter? Yeah, sure did. That yeah. little that school that's there. Yeah, that little red schoolhouse back on uh, on that St. Philip Street. What was it? Yeah. McDonough? at that time it was McDonough Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, now right. I think it's Plessy. Yeah, right. Davis right. Rogan teaches there now. Yeah, and Davis was actually yeah. in the class. See, Davis was maybe one year or two years ahead of me because it was my brother went there my cousin's aaron lambert the drummer with the uh, treme brass band and yep. you know you can hear him around town with different groups and he was he was he's uh, my brother's age they were two years ahead of me and then we had a cousin my his older sister was like five years ahead of us yeah so the the rogans were kind of like in between us yeah there was one older than us and then davis and then the sister who i think works across the river over at the um, studio in the woods. Oh, that's a great spot. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she does. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, th that's always interesting to me that, like, every now and again you meet somebody who went to that school and that there are people that, uh, because I think in today's day and age maybe people forget that, like, there was a, there's a community of people that grew up in the French Quarter, citizens right. of New Orleans, right. people from New Orleans that grew up in the French yeah. Quarter. And, and you come from that. Yeah, there weren't a lot of us, but uh, we were right. we were kind of like the tail end of it. Um, right, right. You know, I mean, when I was growing up in the quarter, you would there were still vacant, you know, dilapidated houses. Right. You know, if you went back, um, you know, beyond St. Philip Street, like back towards a uh, Verde Mart, or really like the other side, like over towards Rampart, there were still you know empty houses. Sure. And, you know. Right. Uh, Is that then, kind of why at the time I can't remember the the, the urban planner's name who's infamous wanting to build the interstate through the French Quarter but is it because like the French Quarter wasn't the French Quarter well I mean so we I mean when my parents got here in 61 uh, the French Quarter was you know I mean the reason all the artists had moved there is because it was that was the affordable you know interesting place to live yeah yeah uh, right you know right, that's, right. it's kind of like yeah. that's where all the sailors hung out that's right I mean you yeah know, if you, if, when I was growing up, like down by where like House of Blues is, that was like the there was like a little Greek strip there. Yes. Back then, and that was like that was like for all the Greek sailors. Yes. And then, um, I mean, it was it was I mean, probably like twelve like Greek restaurants and bars where you could go hear like Greek music, eat Greek food, and 
if I mean, right. and get Greek stuff. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. You know, and then a little forgotten subset of yeah, New Orleans culture. The French market, yeah. like in the seventies and eighties, like until about the early up until about World's Fair, the French market was uh, still servicing the French Quarter. You know, you, that they would still make deliveries to the French Quarter, like right. wholesale food deliveries yes, to the restaurants. Right, right. And that started around <laughs> around eighty four, around around the World's Fair, that started changing. Um, it's so crazy to think of the French market as an operating food market that serviced restaurants yes. and not tourists at exactly. one point in time. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, there was also like, like, um, Bricado's was back where Croissant Door is now. Hey, sure. Of course. And women's was, entrance. Yeah. There was a, there was exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there was a fish market back there. I remember too, that, that, you know, you, you had to go down a, a little alley on St. Philip and it was back in the courtyard and, you know, there'd be fresh fish that you could get back there. Sure. Sure. Um, and there were still local restaurants like Buster's on Orleans where everybody, right. everybody used to go eat every day, you know, from, you know, lawyers and businessmen to, you know, um, you know, housekeepers and sure. know, street sweepers, everybody kind of mixed at Buster's, at Busters yeah, during yeah. the day. That was like, a, I, I culturally and socially a very important, um, piece of, of, of New Orleans. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And, uh, and so, I mean, if you could put a pin on it, like what, what was it like growing up in that culture in terms of, and this is a very broad question in terms of how it influenced you and where you've wound up today? Well, your, your whole, your whole, uh, take on what's normal is, you know, completely different from like the rest of the world, right. you know? I sure. lived, we lived on, on St. Anne Street uh, between Bourbon and Dauphine, right next to the St. Louis Cathedral School. So, you know, we lived between like the Bourbon pub and like, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just, you, you, you grew up listening to like, you know, you hear disco and dance music and, you know, you would go to, you know, on our way walking to school, there would still be the same guys hanging out at the bar from the night before. Right. But it never, it never seemed strange to us that's just how people were you know right right um back then there was like mr little joe's on the corner of royal and saint anne was like a little grocery store and we'd stop there for you know for breakfast in the morning or go to busters for breakfast and it was all just very normal like bourbon street was normal to me uh sure you know just you know everybody was kind of equal like you 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 know with the bartenders and the musicians and uh the businessmen and you know whoever it was just it was a, it was a real neighborhood you know yeah yeah um and it, it felt safe as a kid uh because everybody knew my dad right you know so sure the, the, everybody knew who we were right so it felt safe like surrogates Sorry. yeah like, it felt everybody always you know everyone was an uncle we could yeah there was it, it was it was really hard to get into trouble because everybody you know knew uh, you right you know, and everybody had permission to to uh you know uh reprimand us if you know we were caught doing something right since you guys have a pretty right. long leash like when you hear about kids who like us who grew up and i assume we're not too far off in age or whatever but that that forlorn like suburban experience where you got to ride your bikes all night till right. the street lights came on right what was it right. like growing up in the french quarter in terms of that kind of like latitude as a kid to be able to yeah explore the neighborhood get out of the neighborhood we had a pretty long leash yeah yeah we were right. we, i mean we we grew up around a lot of older people, so we were treated like adults at a very young age. Okay, you know, um, I mean, it's it's amazing that nothing like horrible, all, yeah, you. terrible <laughs> happened to us. I mean, I think about some of the things we did. I mean, I just think about like, 
you know, walking to Canal Street when we were like, you know, six, seven years old sure. and like, you know, just hanging out or like walking down and just like watching Mardi Gras parades and just, you know, our front door being unlocked or we would just go back to Preservation yeah, Hall. Yeah, did you ever fuck around with the river? Like, um, you know what? Back then, Jack's Brewery was, was, um, like a warehouse or something. Was a, yeah, actually, it, it was like, it was just completely empty. It was, mm. and, and, yeah. and the moonwalk wasn't there. Gotcha. Right. And the French, like, Jackson Square had, I mean, when I, in the 70s, you could still drive directly down charters and like across St. Peter, like they had, it hadn't blocked that off for pedestrians yet. So that I actually saw that like in my lifetime, Yeah, you know, that become like a plaza sure. and that was all brand new. But man, if you were going like all the way down to the river, then you were, you were, that was like, yeah, that was, we, we kind of knew like our limitations. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, and like, we definitely never went like further than past a domain like you would never go back into the back part of the french quarter you would never go back you wouldn't i mean it was unthinkable of going to like frenchman street yeah you know like we would go back um to ruby reds um that that's where the dragon's den is now yeah and that was like a hamburger place back then right right and you would have to kind of go through the side door it was kind of like a speakeasy at one time and it was like painted it was like a barbershop all front yeah. And you'd go down the side alley and come in and, you know, it was one of those places where you could just uh, throw your peanut shells on the ground. Yep. And right. that was one of the places. It was like 24-hour hamburgers. Right. So right. Um, the tradition was that, like, the hall would close at, at like, 1230 and, like, they would close the date at, min- at 1 and then everybody would go out and eat somewhere. Yeah. You know, and Ruby Res was, like, one of the places that everybody would go eat. Yeah. So you mentioned the hall. Like, what, what are your earliest memories of uh, the Preservation Hall? I mean, I don't have a first memory because it was, you know, it's just, it's just, my, just I mean, you you see, it was my parents' house at it's one time. Where, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we. And Aaron's it, been on the show and he said at some point he was, I think, living yeah, as like, a kid. Well, my parents, you know, in the courtyard, there's, um, there's a, uh, like a service quarters in the back, you know, and, and his family had the front two rooms and then okay. in, in the very rear, uh, my parents had like the, the back room, which is, we call it the library now but that was their living room and they lived on a loft. Okay. And then there was a little, like underneath the loft, there was a little, like, I don't know, cubby where my brother had his bed. And then when I was born, we, we moved, we moved uh, over to St. Anne. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we didn't have a kitchen. I mean, there was a, uh, there was a, a restaurant next door uh, and there was a door, but there was actually, you could still there at the hall in, in the wall, in the brick wall, there was a, was a door that you could go through right into like the courtyard of the kitchen. Yeah, of the of the restaurant next door. So, so that's, that's, where, that's where everybody ate. Yeah, my, I don't think my parents cooked a meal like after they moved here. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much like right. That's yeah. pretty much it. You know. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So, uh, question I have, um, and we'll transition to things that you're doing now at some point here as well. Yeah. But uh, uh, you hear uh, tales about New Orleans being one of the more mobbed up cities. Um, especially in the South, um, like New Orleans, Tampa, a little bit in Dallas and Houston. Um, did you have any encounters with that kind of stuff living down the French Quarter? Because you hear all these tales about that Bourbon Street was really kind of like run. Well, I think, I mean, anywhere you like have like liquor and you have <laughs> real like estate, real estate and cash and shipping, like in any city Services. in the world, of course, where you have, have that, where like people are being paid sure. in cash and yeah. Um, you know, and there's just, you know, like, uh, also just, there aren't, there aren't that many cities, at, especially at that time that had like this many, um, visitors coming through it, you know, 
Right. Uh, so there was like just like a constant flow of activity, you know. I mean, a lot of cash. A lot of cash, you know, just a lot of cash coming through the city. Did I mean, you see it overtly though? I mean, so like at all? Like, did you? Not really. I yeah. mean, you know, we. I mean, musicians have always been sort of like the, uh, what kind of like neutral. You know, they're kind of like musicians are like the union. You know, the United yeah. Nations ambassadors of of like the world. You know, it's it's yeah. we're we're not like in the middle of that. We're we're like here to do something. You know, and and people really respected my parents. Right. But I mean, you know, if, at some point you're going to like, you know, if you live in New Orleans and you go to school here and you live here. And I mean, you if you actually live here in the city proper and go to school here and like have business here, you know, you're going to come across like people and, you know, the names are going to ring bells to you, you know, that, uh, you know, everybody reads the paper and, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so, you, you know, you, you just see, know well, you, you just see names and you like you see oh, the, this person's a judge and that person's a police officer and this person's a lawyer and that guy owns a bar down the street. And, and it's all the same last name. Oftentimes. Yeah. <laughs> Often, yeah. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that that's, you know, I mean, like I, I heard somebody like say, say uh, not too long ago, they were like, you know, New Orleans is, is, is the least corrupt city in the Caribbean. No, no, I shouldn't say that out loud. You know, with that, shouldn't say that out loud. Yeah, but I mean, people would be like, "We got catching up to do." No, exactly. We can't be last. But the the you know the the I mean, and I I think that you know if you're from here, you 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 understand that it's not really like even corruption as much as it's just like a you know part of like you know people's like this is the way. You know, people have been doing business for for centuries. You know, it's yeah, and and to sure. kind of deny that like this doesn't exist in other cities is kind of silly too. Exactly. You know, they just call it something else in yeah. other cities. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, can we talk about your parents for a second? Like, how did they? What was their story of moving down here, and how did coming into a place that we've been talking about, like where there's you know probably people who have strongholds and certain goods and services. Um, in a burgeoning economy, I guess. Yeah. How did your parents come here? You're from Philadelphia, right? No, my parents, yeah. well, my, my dad's from a little town called Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, both of them are, are like, you know, sons and daughters of, of you know, immigrants, you know, either the, either the, the grandchildren or, you know, children of. And uh, my dad's parents owned a, uh, an art supply, a wallpaper and paint store yeah. And my mom's father, it was a, uh, was, that was a little bit more mysterious what he did for a living. Um, it was some, something involved with real estate, but right. you know, nobody to this day, nobody's really like clear on sure. what that was, you know, um, he probably was some sort of like, you know, had some kind of like collection thing going on, yep. you know? Um, but yeah, my dad, I mean, we're talking about, they, them, they met in like the 1950s when my dad was in college in Philadelphia. And uh, my dad was very much into jazz, um, modern jazz, and you know Miles Davis, and just sort of bebop, and Dave Brubeck, yeah. and and Dizzy Gillespie, and you know bebop and whatnot, and also in, very much into New Orleans jazz as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it was New Orleans jazz. There was a, I think, a deep like a different kind of appreciation for New Orleans jazz on the East Coast. Um, you know, because it wasn't from there, so there was something um, I don't know, just sort of like mysterious about it you know just this thing that they heard on records but didn't really know anybody who played it right and um 
my dad's actually had a roommate um, from New Orleans who who went to went to college with him, and my dad was also uh, went to college on a uh, ROTC scholarship and played tuba. The tuba got him this, his high school scholarship, and then he you know got it, this ROT scholarship to go to to college and was actually um, doing his uh, training in his time down at Fort Polk, Louisiana, which I think is like up around Shreveport or Monroe or something right. like that. And um, him and like this friend of his from college like would come down to New Orleans, you know, on, on their like weekend leaves. And when him and when he married my mom, they uh, went on a honeymoon like uh, six weeks, I think, or two months to Mexico City. And they came back through, through, they were driving. They drove back through New Orleans. He was like, I gotta show you New Orleans. You know? yeah. I mean, you know that, like when you're, you're like, you know, you're, you're, you're newly married, you're like, this is fresh. You're like, totally. wanna share yeah. something beautiful with this person that you're like madly in love with. And you're like, right. I'm about to show you like this thing that's gonna blow your mind. That's so you know? few other people in your life know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So they, they came to New Orleans and they had been listening to this, uh, like these, this album, these albums on Riverside uh, called the Living Legends series, which was about, I don't know, maybe 12 or 15 records of New Orleans artists like Sweet Emma Barrett, the Eureka Brass Band, uh, Kitchy Kohler, Billy and Didi Pierce. Um, it, it was, it were, it, it was a, it, it's become this classic series of, of New Orleans records and they had this series of records. So they came to New Orleans thinking that they might be able to find some of these people, yeah. you know, playing here, just kind of be adventurous, you know, sure. like, you know, mm -hmm. like, we are all are, you know. Just Let's just go and see what we can find, you know. And they yeah. they got a got an apartment and um, they started looking around for people. And like, sure enough, someone eventually told them that like the Eureka Brass Band was going to be playing in Jackson Square in the Pontaba buildings, doing like Tulane was sponsoring something for the uh, this group called like the Women of the Revolution or something or like yeah. some some like ladies uptown auxiliary thing like that. They are. Yeah. yeah. And they, yeah. you know, and like at that time, the Pontalvos, they, they were like, it was, the whole French Quarter was just kind of dumpy and like interesting and, you know, and they like went into this building and like went up the stairs and they went in this room and like, sure enough, there was like, you know, Percy Humphrey and like Willie Humphrey and like the Eureka Brass Band like sitting there and they just kind of like lost their minds. They couldn't believe it. They just like walked, they were like, you know, how's this even possible that right. like, this is even happening right now? You know, it's kind of, it'd be like going down the cube and like walking into like, like turning a corner somewhere and there's like the Buena Vista Social Club or something, sure. right? you know, and you're like, what? I'm like, what's going yeah. on? Like, you, you know, your sure. mind just explodes. Totally. Know? And uh, they just became, sorry, they, they, they were like, you know, just met everybody and then, at the end of the show, and the reason this is so fresh in my mind is because my mom, I, I, I sat with my mom last night. She did an interview for a, um, for a, a class, at, for a, a friend of hers at Tulane, um, who's teaching a class on, on uh, interviewing and lecturing and you know, biography. And uh, so I just heard this whole story last night, again, but it's fresh in my mind. So yeah. they, afterwards they went down and they followed one of the musicians who was Kitschy Kohler through the French Quarter and he walked, he, they followed him over to St. Peter Street. And at that time, Bill Russell, who was one of the first um, people that Tulane had hired to um, do the jazz archives at Tulane, uh -huh. had a little record store across the street from Preservation Hall. And they just kind of hung out on the street, waited to see what was happening. He went in for a little while and then he came out and he walked across the street into an art gallery across the street and they followed him into the art gallery and he went in and they were painting, there were people in there painting 
And he went in there and like sat for a little while while they painted him and they started meeting people. And the owner of the gallery, Larry Bornstein, um, approached them and said, hey, we're, we're gonna have a little jam session here on, on Sunday if you guys wanna come back, you know, but you, you, you kinda need to be invited to right. it, you know, um, cause it was, you know, it was Jim Crow South. It wasn't like, this wasn't like open, um, you know, yeah, you know, things like right, this had to be right, done yeah. and, 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 and secret. And, yeah, and private, sure. or it had to appear that you were like, it was like, you know, you were hiring this band to be there for, for a social function or something. Right, you know? right, yeah. And like that, that just like, that started right. my parents, like, like in that moment, yeah. like their whole lives changed. Yeah. And that like gallery, like within a week, Larry, Larry approached my parents. And I was like, look, I'm moving my gallery to the building next door. This place is coming, you know, it's going to be available. I've got a lease on it. You know, do you guys want to continue doing these these sessions here? Mm-hmm. And you know, my parents just like without even thinking about it, like just you know, we're like, yes, of course. You Unbelievable. Know? And that was you know pretty much you know how it all got started, like with no like foresight, no no strategy, no planning. They just saw something really beautiful taking place and something that like they were already had a passion for. But yeah. you know, they had totally. never run. They didn't run music venues, and they weren't involved in like music in any way more than just being uh you know fans and my dad played but he wasn't like at that time wasn't uh you know actively playing yeah. as a professional he was you know working in a department store as like you know manager that's such you an know. amazing story so, wow and he got yeah. they got like uh what michael corleone calls thunderbolted yeah they just came to New Orleans and got the thunderbolt. <laughs> I, I can imagine that could be that could have been a baptism by fire too, because sure. just like cultural differences from like where they came I think from I, and yeah. dealing with with musicians, you know, in New Orleans who have an idea about who what a club looks like and then who runs them and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Well, sixty one, you're talking about like you know, I mean, to kind of you have to really paint like a, a picture of like the the landscape at that time what what it looked like you know to be like a traditional new orleans jazz musician in 1961 you didn't have a lot of professional opportunities you know you were you know either a, a contemporary of louis armstrong or, or, or a little bit older than louis armstrong right you know so a, a lot of these musicians uh you know were, were sort of you know forgotten you know there, sure. there were there weren't opportunities i mean there, there were there were there were jazz funerals but they the, the, those were few and far between and they weren't really always you know um you know very lucrative mm-hmm. um there was occasionally like you know dances up at Tulane, like a fraternity might have a dance that might hire sweet emma barrett but that was kind of like a nostalgic mm-hmm. kind of throwback thing but there, there really wasn't a an overall sense in the city of of appreciation for this thing like nobody really understood what they had like right here sure there wasn't like people were you know bowing at the feet of, of these musicians they were they, they were still you know kind of seems yeah. like it's like that now a little bit maybe was we'll, it maybe uh, we'll was, that, was the union in control of the game well there were two then? unions there, there were two black, right? yeah, there was a black, black union and a white, and a white union, union. Yeah, exactly and like within a like a very short period of time like i mean i think like after like the first couple weeks of being open the uh the the union you know approached them and they had to you know uh have a, get a contract going with the union right and uh i mean the interesting thing is like 61 for what they were doing like having a venue like this i mean there weren't jazz clubs you know it's just like there was like there were places on bourbon street but they were like 
you know, there was the Paddock Lounge, which actually had New Orleans style jazz. Um, but the rest of the places were kind of like, you know, comedians, tap dancers, uh, stripping and like bars. Right. And it was more right. like a hustling, hustle kind of thing, like, you know, right. two drink minimum type of thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. but everybody involved at the hall. Entertainment review. Yeah. Everybody involved yeah. in the hall were, were artists and were, uh, most of the people were not actually from here. So they, they had like this this whole different take on it. I mean, they, they saw these musicians as, as, as gods, as kings. Right. You know, and that just didn't, you know, that was just like a whole new thing for these musicians to like have somebody who cared about them that passionately and deeply and like were, 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 were concerned about their welfare and their well-being. Sure. Yeah, you know, sure. It was like a, a totally, Like totally not just on thing. stage, but off stage. Oh, absolutely. Their health, I mean, their well-being, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what my parents did at the hall was, was obvious like to them that was like easy that was like you know the fact that like just opening the door and like presenting those shows and letting the musicians do what they do and like finding them and locating them that was that was one of the more challenging things was actually locating musicians okay. at that time you know like going into the neighborhoods and you know um you know having resources like richard allen dick allen who was the uh the librarian at, at the hogan jazz archives at that time and bill russell like having them as resources to like actually locate musicians, you yeah. know, and then the musicians would locate their bands. Okay. You know? Right. Exactly. Um, and there weren't like second lines like there are today either. You know, right. that was, you know, the only time there would be a, a, a second line would be at a funeral, you know, right. It wasn't like something that happened sure. every Sunday or like right, right. in the French quarter, like, Oh, we're getting married. Oh, let's have a second line. You know, like, right. that's like a kind of like, pretty new thing it's pretty new yeah right in the yeah. history like in, you know the hundred year history of jazz like that's like a relatively new it's thing it's pretty new it's pretty yeah. new so was your parents sensibility about booking or curating just about just authentic new orleans musicians at the time like people were yeah i mean they relied on people around them and what they knew i mean i yeah. think if you're if you're if you're just kind of um in love with music and you like pay attention to what's going around you you know like who who the people are who the source like you'll just be attracted to the sure. source totally like you're gonna be like oh this guy's obviously like he's like this is punch miller he's the source sure like you know george lewis oh, oh god this is one of the sources like, right you, you know you just have to like pay attention you know you yeah and, really... then, and then was it just like a goodwill thing that your parents it sounds like it was but like to be able to run a business like that, have musicians to trust you. Right. You know, if you have to go find musicians and they have to go find their band members, there might be some sort of like level of mistrust, like in general, I assume. So was there just something like ingratiating with your parents in terms of just goodwill to be able to own and operate a business as well as, and I guess just treating musicians well. Yeah. I, again, I think I, a lot had to do with like um, the musicians feeling comfortable with Larry Bornstein. Yep. And being comfortable with Dick Allen and being comfortable with Bill Russell. Gotcha. And um, and then eventually just, you know, it doesn't take long. It's like after a couple of weeks, I mean, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, there's this place where you can actually make a little yeah. bread. Sure. And like and like the people there are cool. Yeah. And right. Like, and, right. And, and, and like after the shows, they like take us home right. and like they'll escort you back to the house. I mean, like if, if you were, you know, if you're African-American, like trying to go home at one o'clock in the morning. Yep. You know, in 1961, you know. It, you know, it, it, you know who knows what could happen to you. Yep. You know, um, but then again, I was, you know, musicians have always, you know, been uh, like I said, like that. You know, have always been sort of, you know, well, untouchable. I guess I don't know what else to, how to say it, but you know, just res there's enough respect for musicians that it's like, oh, you're a musician. Yeah, 
you're 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 kind of like have this little safe bubble around you. Yeah, you have like your own HOV lane. Maybe a little a little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah. A little bit more. But I mean, we are talking about you know again like you know yeah. this was a Jim Crow South and it was like totally. you yeah. know blacks and whites weren't you know allowed to like it was all in the books you know fraternizing or socializing together and sure. preservation halls just start chipping away at that um, that that idea. Yeah. You know, and it um it it eventually gained so much traction so quickly that it was like you know a boulder coming over a cliff you know like once everybody noticed what what was going on there it was already it had already taken off and there was like nothing you know, nothing you could stop it now it's just done no just it's a new reality it was it, it was just it was the new reality yeah. and um and by 64 the you know the the civil the you know the the, the laws had been passed and voted on so things just began to open up more slowly. And my parents by that time were, you know, a, a very big part of the, of the music community here. Um, and at that point we're, you know, now like, you know, raising like the next generation of not just musicians, but you know, like Allison Minor and Quint Davis were hanging out at the hall. And like, you know, it was like discovering Professor Longhair, sure. you know, and like, you know, then all of a sudden Tipitina's opens up, you know, and it's like, there's right. a, the next generation of, of things happening, right? you know? And it was, and it was just like a beautiful time to be here. You know, the warehouse opens, you know, all then jazz, you know, my parents like, you know, bring, bring, um, you know, we're involved with bringing George Ween to new Orleans and, you know, having him, you know, give them his opinion on, on jazz fest. You right. know, the idea was to like create, um, you know, a Newport folk festival, jazz festival event in new Orleans, you know, and he's like, totally can do it. No problem. But here's the thing, Jaffe. I'm not going to be the one who tells your mayor that, you know, I can't bring Duke Ellington or Miles Davis to New Orleans and not put them in the same hotel that I'm putting Dave Brubeck or Benny Goodman or, you know, you know, I'm not bringing Ella Fitzgerald is eating in the same restaurants that everybody eats in, you know, and that's not the case right now. So when you guys get that figured out and that straight, then then we can do it. Who had that conversation with the mayor? Uh, you know what? I never. <laughs> I think. I, you know. What? I. I don't. I think it was a group of. I think it was a group of people. I think it was Quint's yeah. dad. Yeah. Um, huh. Who was an architect? You know, his is Quint's dad. I don't. Very. I don't. Know if people know his, his dad designed the Superdome. I didn't know that. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. Did um, you know that, Jeff? Uh, no, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Arthur Davis. Okay. Yeah, Clint oh, Davis. Wow. Davis. I never, I never, Davis. I never put that together. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Wow. And he, and he yeah. designed, he designed the Riverwalk, which was torn down to Bill Harris. Wow. Um, Jesus. Yeah. So, those were the people that my parents were like, you know, that was like their circle of friends. That was like who they were, you know, buddies with. And, you know, it, you know, I, I think, I think as like a civic group, they all approached the mayor. And I don't think it was like an official thing. I was probably, you know. Over a drink, yeah, it was probably yeah, it it was, yeah, or just you know, like at, at something, you know, yeah. And they were just like, hey, you know, this has to change. It's going to change, you know. Let's get out and, in front and, of it. Yeah, this can be part of that change. This this can help. The, this can help the change yeah. along, you know. Yeah. And uh, and, th- and that you know the jazz fest ended up happening the first year I think was what nineteen sixty nine, yeah, right. in yeah. Congress Square. Fiftieth year is this yeah. jazz fest, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, the history is amazing, and and I'm, I find my head like swimming 
with questions now. Me too. That I, I want to ask. Because like, like not. I mean, like, the, like <laughs> Quint Davis and Allison Minor. I mean, not only were they like. I mean, Allison. Not only was it like Professor Longhair and like James Booker and like you know like that whole scene, but it was also you know, the rebirth, and yeah. the Dirty Dozen. Sure. You know, right. like there was all that too that that came, you know, happening in like the seventies and eighties. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say one of the things sure. that I've while we're still talking about history, uh, my favorite books that I've read in the last ten years is um, Song for My Fathers. Mm. Just an incredible read. I mean, it's just. I don't know. I was not living here at the time. I'd like moved away for a minute. Yeah, and uh, it was just helped cure my homesickness. And Tom, Tommy Sankton was, um, you, you know, is, is older than me. Um, he's probably more like Quince age. Yeah. Because what was happening? I think on Sundays at the hall they used to have these, um, like, uh, uh, classes where some they'd bring in some of the mus- older musicians and they would have little jam sessions. Yeah. Quint used to go and play drums and Tommy would play clarinet. Yeah. And um and that that yeah, it was oh and and, and um Torkinowski. Yeah. David Torkinowski's mom had yeah. had a shop right next door to Preservation Hall and she was like a classically trained flamenco, flamenco dancer. Yeah. And his dad was the conductor of the orchestra. Wow. Yeah. You yeah. know, so he was part of that scene too. Like, you know, he he'll tell you that you know, he was hanging out at the hall, you know, soaking in Sweet Emma. Right. Barrett, you know. So that, yeah, I mean, the hall was, was responsible for a lot of things that, that you know, just have, you know, are just part of our history. As, as you know, as New Orleans is, it's just like this, these little, like, little moments, but um, sure. the, the nuances, you know, it's, it's like, it's not the, it's like the words in between the lines, you know. Well, that's what this book, um, Song for My Father's, by Thomas Sankton is like, it's clearly autobiographical. But yeah. It reads like creative nonfiction, and in times it reads like prose and poetry, and it, it, and it also, it's a beautiful read. But it gets it gets down into race relations and just the whole the the, the picture that it paints too of the hall is just uh, I've never read anything like it in terms of just uh, having a complete understanding of a time and place that I had never experienced. Yeah, that time and that place. But through his words, just he captured those like in between the line, yeah, emotions. I think you know of that scene. It's good stuff. Um, was the hall always liquor free? Yeah, I mean, we always allowed people to bring liquor in. Okay, but my parents like made a decision pretty early on. They're like, we're not in the bar business, right? You know, like that that changes things. Like when you start, how you did know. they compensate for that? And did people think that they were crazy? For not having that? Yeah. I mean, well, at that time, <laughs> at that time, people really respected it because um, jazz had such a, a stigma attached to it. Right. You know? About that. Yeah. Like, jazz, right. jazz still, like, carried the stigma of being associated with, like, Storyville. And, I mean, even the name itself, sure. I mean, you know, look it up. I mean, I don't need to tell you, but, I mean, you know, the name itself is, it's hilarious that, you know, it's like jazz at Lincoln Center. It's like, you know... If you actually know what that means, you know, I, it cracks me up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. They, they were jazz houses. You know, right. brothels yeah. were jazz houses. Right. And uh, you know, they, they, you know, whether you spelled the J A S S or J A Z Z, it was it's the same word. Sure. You know. No, right. it's uh, like it'd be like the the brothel at Kennedy Center. Yeah. It's like. But the kinda. but that was you know so my parents had to fight that stigma. You know, sure. I think it was in a lot of ways like you know. Martin Luther King and you know the Freedom Riders wearing suits when they protested, 
you know, they weren't out there. They they were like, hey, we're, we're you know, we're dignified and like we care about the way we look and we're caring about the way we present ourselves. And right. Try, and right. you know, and, yeah. and there were there was something very important about that to my parents um, to make sure that the hall was never was was always uh, presented in a way that was respectful and, and honorable. Right. You know. Yeah. And it wasn't it, they they weren't Quakers. Right. You know, but uh, right. but I mean, if you look at the hall, I mean, it is like it's, it's kind of Quakerish. I mean, it's like a couple benches, I, it, it like is, a couple wood it benches. It's like yeah. maybe it's like some little, of that Pennsylvania, you yeah, know, kind of yeah, like totally. flowed into Absolutely. You know, the ideas there. And I mean, yeah. we do, you know, I, I people always refer to it. I mean, I know I do too, as a, as a temple or a, a chapel. You know, I, I yeah. often refer to it that way. You know, a sure. hallowed ground, and um, you know, people don't drink in church. I mean, they do a little bit, but not, you know. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little <flask> <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the confessional. Yeah. Um, the uh, well, that's interesting. And they, they must have compensated for that with uh, char- by charging admission, right? Was that the yeah, idea? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I mean, my parents had jobs um, for many years. Gosh, you know, they so had other hard. jobs. Yeah, that's so hard. Too. Yeah, they had other jobs. My mom was and a And they did all the setter. booking and everything? Yeah. Yeah. Alley. Yeah. Yeah, my mom was a typesetter. My dad worked at D.H. Holmes or Maison Blanche. I'm not sure which one. He worked on uh-huh. Canal Street. Sure, at sure. one of the stores. Right. So, so the so the hall was there. Sorry, the, the hall was their side hustle, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it was their passion, right? You know, um, but they, you know, they had this. You know, they had they had to eat. You know, they yeah. had, you know, was, sure, of course, and. Um, they were young. I mean, they were in their their twenties. So you kind of, sure. you know, in life sometimes you only get one shot at, at like, at at those kind of um, moments. You know, yeah. when when you can like jump in a van and like, you know, drive cross country or you know, you know, it's like before you right. before your career starts or before you have That's a family, right. you have like this this window. You know, yeah. it's just some people don't recognize that, and some people you, you, maybe you don't even know it sometimes when it's as it's happening. Yeah, you know, but they didn't look at it as a burden. They just they they were like, this is. Incredible. It's an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Am I right in saying that you lived away for a while and then you moved back to New Orleans? Well, I went. I, I left for um, after I went to Noka. When I graduated Noka, I ended up leaving um, New Orleans. Yeah. Noka when it was uptown. When it was uptown on Webster. Right. Yeah. 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 Did you go to school with Andrew Wade Smith by any chance? Andrew. Where, where did he go? Where he was. was he, he was at Noka uptown. Really? What year? Was visual that? artist. Okay. I. You know what? I, I, we were pretty at that time we were pretty separate from the visual artists mm. yeah. yeah um i graduated in 89 from okay. uh, from noca yeah and uh yeah I, I left uh i left i went to college in ohio um a small liberal arts school up there called oberlin for four years and you know studied music and uh literature and uh played modern jazz you know around detroit and cleveland sure and uh you know about my and I would come back I'd come back in the summer and for like you know occasionally but I really you know my father had passed away in 87 so it was like you know I, I, I just felt I needed to get away I didn't know it at the time but I really just needed to, to kind of find myself and get away mm. mm-hmm. you know and um, that was sort of my you know the longest period of time I'd ever been away from New Orleans although we we had traveled a lot mm. when I was a kid uh, with my father and the band you know so um I knew what it was like to be away from New Orleans. Yeah. Right. Right. But I also, I also, that was like the first time that I really grew to appreciate um, everything that I, I had in New Orleans, like growing up here, like all the things that I had learned musically growing up here. 
I, I had no idea like how precious or rare or valuable they were living here. Right. Right? They just seemed, it seemed so natural, like, <laughs> you know, playing in a second line or, or like, you know, just calling off a tune or just like jamming with a bunch of guys and like sure. nobody like, or just showing up at like the glass house and like playing with the rebirth or, or like, you know, just, it or just like seems going, normal. Yeah, or yeah. like going into Benny's and like, you know, there's like Cyril playing with like the Uptown All Stars. Yeah, or like, or like sousaphone players everywhere. Yeah, there's like tuba players <laughs> everywhere. And like, you know, and I grew up with these, these, um, bass players that were like legends to me I and mean, like, like Frank Fields who played on like all of the all of like the Fats Domino and Ray Charles records and um, James Prevost and Chester Zardis I mean these guys like taught me you know I just I played like they played so I just I slapped bass and then when I got to college I was like I'm the only guy slapping you like you're like oh maybe I'm not supposed to do this like I'm like right. uh, wait what am I <laughs> you have to unlearn uh, yeah I'm like wait you learned on the street all, in New yeah so right. you just it was just, and it really was like this thing where it was, like I remember it really, really struck me. Like for my junior recital, we played. You know, I was like, okay, we're gonna do Duke Ellington piece. We'll do a Coltrane piece. We'll do a Miles piece. We'll do some bebop. We'll do some big band stuff. And then like, but let's let's close it with like a couple New Orleans songs, and let's like do Close to Walk with Thee, and then we'll play the Saints Go Marching In, you know, and uh, and like nobody. Not one of the guys in my class knew either song, and it like I, <laughs> from I the like, canon. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, well, how can you not like? That's almost. It's like, how do you not know Happy Birthday or, <laughs> right? How do you not sure. know these songs? Right, like, right. How's that? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And then it was then it like struck me that like a lot of jazz education starts with bebop, and it doesn't. It doesn't sure. like it that's doesn't right. start with New Orleans, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and that was you know just like eye opening to me, you know. Yeah. And then I just, I, it kind of like started like all these people like got really curious and like at that time Wynton Marsalis was, was, you know, was really, you know, was popular and, um, you know, was, yeah, everybody wanted to know about New Orleans, you know, all these jazz guys were like trying to figure out about, they, they were like, oh my God, now like, wait, what's this other thing happening? And, and it was right at that time, like Terrence Blanchard and Donald Harrison yeah. and Branford and sure, Wynton sure, and, sure. and Harry Connick. That was all kind of like happening right there between like the late 80s and early 90s. And um, yeah, I mean, as soon as I graduated college, I like hit the road with, with the Preservation Hall Band. They needed um, a bass player. The bass player at that time was, you know, had almost like he was waiting for me to graduate, you know. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was just like, you know, it? it was that summer of 93. And my mom called me and was like, hey, he's, you know, James Prevost, is, he's not going to go out this summer with the band. So. I go well. I guess that's my call. Yeah, you know, that was the call I was waiting for. Yeah, you know, I thought I was going to New York. You know, I was like ready to go, like you know, join up with Let's like Elvin Jones. Yeah, I was going to go oh, knock yeah, on yeah. you know Winston's yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. I was going to go play right. with Tony Williams. Sure, I sure. mean, well, that was the know. thing to do back then, right? I mean, like oh yeah, I mean, I had my car packed. I was ready to go, man. Yeah. I was ready, like I knew, I knew exactly where Ahmad to find Ahmad Jamal. I was like, right? Yeah, I knew. I was like, you know, I was ready to go do it. You know, and. um and you know, I, I got on the road with the band. And I came back to the hall, and in '93 that year was the hall had definitely like suffered, um, you know, for, for lack of a uh, leadership. You know, sure. You know, with with my dad gone and my mom um, living mainly in uh, the New York area with her taking care of her mom, the hall just sort of lacked like a like leadership and it lacked like a clear direction and and uh and and you could really sense that you know that there was like you know these older musicians who were 
who like just you know were 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 you know we're used to having my dad there you know to to kind of like help yeah. you know just help help the thing along you know totally and uh and i was also like well who's you know what's it going to become now like you know these guys like you know all the guys who were played with my dad were still alive william percy were like 93 and 95 years old and they were still playing <laughs> yeah right know? like narvin kimball was still sure. playing. like he i played with narvin for like 10 more years he played till he was like 96 yeah you know um Jeanette Kimball, she was still playing piano, and you know, and then you had this younger generation, Wendell Brunius and Leroy Jones and Shannon Powell, and um, you know, coming up kind of like you know, underneath these guys, and right. it was kind of like, hey, what? You know, you don't realize that you're getting past the torch, and sometimes you know, sure. and but that was all happening then, and you know, I, I was just trying to figure out like where I fit in to all of this, you know. And you were, by my calculation. 23 or 24 to 22 22 yeah yeah i came back i was 22 and it was kind of like hey you know hey here are the keys <laughs> yeah. like you know yeah, run uh, this. yeah no it's kind of like here's the keys go fly the 747 <laughs> you know or it's more like go right. fly the space shuttle sure yeah sure. and it was you know there wasn't a manual you know thank god i knew all the musicians and i knew the repertoire and i understood the music i knew what it was supposed to sound like yeah you know um and I, fortunately i had grown up around the hall so i understood like the flow of it all, you know. Right. Um, you know, I knew where to like, you know, put the, you know, s- store everything, and you know, I knew where people were supposed to sit. I knew where the band was supposed to go. And, right, right. The ins and outs. Yeah, of the, the ins and outs. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but besides that, it was it was just like you know figuring it out like all over again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah, yeah well, there sure. was a, kind of a reinvention, right? <laughs> I mean, if you if we I don't know if we're ready to fast forward to the present, but let's even say ten years ago. You know, with the hall, I don't know how to re- organically get to what you know when you're 23 to suddenly you guys are playing with my morning jacket at Bonnaroo or whatever. Yeah, for example, I guess. Um, or well, I mean, any like number of. I mean, like what I I mean, I was you know I was young, so I mean I was I was hanging out on Frenchman Street, you know, right, and I was like you know hanging out at Cafe Brazil, and you know like Mas Mamones and like you know Galactic. You know, right. everybody was like, you know, getting on the scene at that time. The Spin Doctors, what was the name? Is that the Spin name? Doctors? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were yeah. around. Yeah, they were around. For so sure. like, yeah, like you know, so there was like a scene, and like you're, and you're like, you're on it, but you're not like really on it because I'm like, you're hanging out with like you know, 90 year old guys, and there's this other thing happening, and you're like watching it, and then you're like, Bonnaroo, what's Bonnaroo? You know, like gosh, yeah. and then you're like, well, wait, why? You know, these guys are playing on it, but we're not playing on it, and like, what's? But this is our music's cool too, and this is fun, and. But, you know, it's like, oh, wait, how, how does this all, like, who do you know that I don't know, like, what's happening? And then, like, Superfly, and you, you know, those the midnight shows start during Jazz Fest. Right. And, like, you, and, like, you actually, Fish like, came to town and changed everything. Exactly. Or Widespread. That one Jazz Fest. You know? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you see that yeah. happening, like, when Widespread used to do those Halloween gigs. That's right. You know? And that, like, kind of, and then the Dozen went out with them, and then, like, Galactic oh, went out with them. That predated the Fish thing. Yeah. yeah. And, like, when, like Galactic going out with, like, like Widespread was, like, a big deal. Yeah. Like, that was, like, you know, oh, my gosh, you know. Totally. Everybody's uh, like buzzing about that. I'm like, well, that's all. Who's why? Like, who? What? Who's like? You know, the, the panic. What's the panic? Yeah, and I was still like, because I, you know, I'd heard of the Grateful Dead and like knew them from, from college. But I mean, like the Dead were never like, um, a thing in New Orleans. 
you know, like, like don't tell was. that to some people, bro. <laughs> no, no, I mean, just like, like culturally, it just wasn't a thing here. It just wasn't like, a thing here. Yeah. No. It wasn't. Yeah. That's <laughs> but right. I mean, but I mean, then again, like they brought the Preservation Hall band out with them. Like, you know, I mean, I knew that. Right, right. But it was kind of yeah. like, I thought it was like a San Francisco thing. Right, you right. Know? I thought it was like, yeah. they were, I thought they were like the San Francisco radiators. You know, like that was kind of like they, that they kind of are you know? or maybe the radiators are the Grateful Dead of no, the world, but I mean, like, you know? <laughs> when I was growing up like you know like the, like the radiators and the cold yes. and, like, and like hanging out at Jimmy's and like, that's that right. was like that was like you know kind of like the Clements, living on the edge Clements Brothers yeah definitely and then like and then like you know uh, kind of like the the rebirth of like Tipitina's sure Michael know, Ray coming back, back to Michael was, Ray yeah yeah, yeah. But it was definitely about that. Like for us, it was it was definitely like the Neville Brothers were like that was, you know, going to see and seeing them play during like Mardi Gras at Tipitina's and being like 16 years old. Yeah. And right. like and like you know seeing like uh, you know me and Willie Green and yeah, the like, meters and, and the just Sunday night jazz yeah. fest Tipitina shows. Like, yeah. Closing down. The just fest. being like blowing your mind, you totally. know. I actually, I mean, I knew the Neville Brothers before I knew the meters because the meters were a thing, and then it didn't exist. And then like unless you were like going to like. Uh, like the beer garden on uh, on Britannia. I can't think of the name of the place. Um, what's oh, that? what was it? On Britannia. Our magazine was. It? I can't remember. There was like a place. There was a beer garden. Oh, God, I can't think of the name. But there was like there were places, but you couldn't go to. It. Like I, you know, as a teenager, you couldn't like go to them. And there was a place behind Tipitino's, like towards uh, uh the Snow Blizz. Uh, it's still there. It's like a like F and M's. Not F and F's. That's always been like a two lane, like okay. uptown Newman thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but it's between F and M's and, and, and Tipitinas. Yeah, on Chapitulas. It's not on Chapitulas, but it's like right off Chapitulas. It's it's like a, a reception hall. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what what? Oh god. I anyway. Yeah, but I mean that that was like, that was oh, one. Now of, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw McCoy Tyner play there. Yes, at, yes. In, in its new iteration, yes. like okay. Yeah. But I mean that Since used to be like a place too yeah. that you just couldn't go to. Cool. It's like. Like I, I never actually got to hear George Porter, um, like in in the meters. Like I never, I never actually got to see the original meters. You know, right. like I, I got to see the, the Neville Brothers, but I never ever got to see the original meters. You know, play. Yeah. Even though I'm, even though I was at Jazz Fest when they were there, you know. Yeah. Um, we were, you know, I'd be hanging with my dad, and we, you know, I got to see everybody else. Yeah. Uh, it's like taking know. them to the jazz tent. And, yeah. Yeah. We hang out at the jazz tent, and that that was back then the jazz tent. You know, there would be like. A, the same people every day, you know. So you, we would just sit there and like kind of have a picnic all day. And we, you know, we were kids. We didn't, you know, we'd sure. run around and just keep check back in every like hour sure. with our parents, you know. <laughs> well, it's fun when the jazz tent and gospel tent were next to each other <laughs> on the grass. Yeah, and you could go and like lie in the grass in between the two. Right. Like if you're hungover or something. Like right. At right. Noon. Yeah. And I would just take a nap. That'd be my jazz fest. Thing, yeah. Like Twenty years ago, or whatever. But that was like that was like. But then that like when the Superfly like that's when I started hearing about Superfly like, right. you know I was like wow this is crazy like these midnight shows and then like the Jazz Fest late night shows started going out of fashion, right? You know and then like you, you know because they used to do their shows in, in Armstrong Park at the Municipal then they did some at the Sanger and they and before that they had them on the boat, the President that's right and then the Superfly started the whole like late night and then late late then the late late night and i was and just like wow this? yeah i was just like wow this is really cool like yeah. it's amazing that this is like they're the first people to think of this you know and um, I, I feel like they just looked at benny's and they said why don't we just do this writ large pretty much in a way yeah yeah right? yeah, yeah yeah you know i mean that's what benny's was yeah you know 6 a.m 
Right. The tunes are still, still going. going. Yeah. yeah, still going. It's probably right. no surprise that their Superfly's first office that predated that decision to do all those late night shows was the stock room for Snake and Jigs. Right. Which was the you know the two the two a.m. to right. eight a.m. bar that musicians and service industry people came to. I mean, sure. I mean, I was a uh, after work. It, yeah, I mean, I, I was gone from '89 to '93, so like by the time I when I did come back, it, there was like you know I was like wow, like okay, you know, a yeah. lot of stuff had like happened totally you know, in that like very small period of time. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I remember like coming back and like being at the first my first second line back where like I heard the rebirth coming around the corner, and it, it was it was it was the same feeling I had hearing the Dirty Dozen playing you know like in the early 80s you know where it was like something that like you thought you knew and and now it was completely different you know they completely they like flipped the script again you know yeah. from like from where from where the dozen were to like to where like you know they were like you were like whoa it just it, i mean it felt like a tidal wave coming at you down the street you uh-huh. know and that was just totally like that was just a brand new thing you know you just couldn't imagine that it could go anywhere else from like where the where the dozen had taken it. Sure. And then like all of a sudden here comes the rebirth and you're like, whoa. You all know, right. yeah, whole nother thing happening. It's like a paradigm shift. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And then yeah. yeah. And it was all happening like somewhat around the same time, you know, in that like eighties time period. Yeah, well I mean I mean I remember that the rebirth were kinda of coming on the scene like in the late eighties. And so by '93, they were like they were pretty much like the premier brass band in town. That's you right. Know, like, yeah, they had the know. residency of the Leaf by then. Yeah, yeah. I mean they, yeah. They, they were like the go-to band. You yeah, know, if you yeah. Were, and like the dozen were on the road, like they were playing big-time gigs. Right. And right. they had like they had like kind of changed their format at that time to be you know more of a um, like a funk band. Right. Know, like with with a kit. That's right. You know, and like a guitar, keyboard. So it was like yeah, a lot of things were changing. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, I, I, yeah, like that was like when I started seeing like this thing happening, and I was just like, wow, these like these festivals, and like now they're starting to, like replicate jazz fest in other cities, and um, and yeah, I just you know started just kind of like on that journey to like figure out how like we fit into all of that, you know, whether or not we were like just like a nostalgia act, you know, because we were touring right. quite a bit, but we were. You know, we were kind of on the same circuit as like you know a lot of like uh, performing arts. I was gonna say you artists, guys, you guys were you probably know. being presented by arts presenters. Yeah, we were of music promoters. Yeah, we were we right? were arts presenters. We were playing you know performing arts centers around the country, and totally. it was like it was like you know getting to see a snapshot of like New Orleans. But as but after a while, you're like you're looking at the you're you're looking at the audience. You're like, wow, the, this what are they actually expecting to see, and what are they are they looking to you know to to have into something, an experience from their past, or are they seeing something for the first time? It's really they're like there to see something from their past, right? You know, and they're like want you to recreate a moment from their past, and it it, it started to feel like you were like being a caricature of of this thing that that other people, you know, of their memory of of this thing, sure, you know? right, right, and. Um, and gradually, like as the older musicians, you know, as they, you know, passed on, made their transition, it was getting harder and harder for me to justify, like to myself, artistically, that this was the right thing to do, you know, to keep playing, to be become a, we were becoming a repertory band, sure, you know, where right. we were like playing, 
the music of Preservation Hall. Somewhere else. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. It was like, it was, you know, we were now playing the music of like 50 years ago that was like, that they created. It was right. like their music. They, they like, they, they're the, they came up with this. You know, we were just like, and we came up underneath them. So it was like a, a real challenge to me to, to like, you know, how, how, I, how can I be true to our, like, what, who we are as, as, you know, musicians and still be true to like this very important tradition, you know? that we, we've become the uh, custodians for. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, Hurricane Katrina hits and that just like, you know, changed everything. You know, kind of, you know, in a moment, again, like everything just changed. Sure. You know, for everybody. You know? And that, so for yeah. you guys, I mean, it sounds like maybe that happened as you were already thinking artistically about how to move the the halls. Yeah, well, I mean, sound well, future. at that point, Clint, Clint Majin from Bingo, yeah. He would, that was probably like the first time that like I had like made an effort to like reach outside of our our orbit yeah. and bring somebody into our family who wasn't like necessarily you know the obvious person to like incorporate into into preservation hall. And maybe not beholden to certain traditions. Um, fair to say. I well, guess. respectful of traditions, sure. but but not but not like of a tradition necessarily, like, you know, on the vanguard of what he was doing. And I mean, honestly, I, I, it wasn't really something I really even thought that much about. I just, I heard Clint singing one time. I was like, I got to meet this guy. Sure. Like, you know, this, I got to figure out who is this guy? Like just singing his heart out in the back of Buffa's in like a little storage room to like 30 people. And it was like the most powerful, like music, one of the most powerful music moments of my life, you know, seeing these guys just like going for it. And you're like, wow, that's that's complete love for like you know what you do, yeah. And to have the chops to like do it. Like I've seen people who love what they do, but they don't have the chops sure. always to back it up. He had the chops, you know, to back it up. And and we just became, you know, we became immediate, you know, very close friends pretty quickly. And he was like, man, I, I he's like, of course I'd love to sing with Preservation Hall, but I'm not gonna like be the guy who like ruins preservation hall I'm like no 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 it's like this is gonna be cool like let's let's try something together like let's just try one song together and we made a video um like shortly before hurricane katrina it was a cover of a kink song yeah because ray davies was living in new orleans at that time right and uh, we, I, I was like i was a big kinks fan yeah and there's this album they recorded called muswell hillbillies and it's pretty much to me it's like a jazz album it's like a new Orleans. it's not to me it sounds like a new like they're all sound like new orleans jazz songs and if you know those guys' history, they all grew up listening to New Orleans jazz. Okay. So I, you know, I was like, well, let's let's just copy, let's let's cover this one song, make a video, and just 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 for fun, like let's just put it out there and just see what happens, like if people like it or. And we did this one song and made a video and spent like I mean it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life the, shooting that video. Um, at that time, I mean, it was 2004, and we were shooting like with a steady cam. Steady cams didn't even really exist yet, you know. Yeah. And we were like, well, if we go out in the French Quarter at like four eight o'clock in the morning, and we have a golf cart, and we have a guy with a steady cam, and we have like, and I think we know we know this one cop, and like, you know, he'll come out and like, <laughs> uh-huh. he'll block the streets for us, and like, we'll do this thing, man, and we can like go up on the levee, and we'll do it all in one shot, and like, look, man, you. You can have like this bag, and we'll put a speaker in it, and man, we'll, we'll run the music to the speaker, and like, and like if you can sing in like halftime, then like we can film it twice as long, 
and then speed it up and it'll look like you're going twice as fast, but singing in real time. Clint actually learned the song in like half, half time. time. And right. then he learned, he, it was unbelievable. <laughs> like it's, it's on YouTube. It's really, it's, 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 it's truly it's, amazing. Is he on the bike on He's on one? the bike. It's on yeah. the bike, yeah. And like the whole one. thing was shot right. in one take. And like we get to the end of it, and I mean it was hilarious. It was like it was breaking down. No one had we didn't have cell phones or anything. I mean, like we were on bikes, like running through the French Quarter, and we had like lookout people who would like, okay, they can't get they can't get through Jackson Square. Oh shit, we gotta like get back to okay, right back to square one. You know, we'd get the band back then, then, and we had like this little window to shoot it because we didn't have any permits or anything, you know, to do it. We were sure. just like right. get it done, look official, <laughs> and like you right. know, um, if you look like you're supposed to be there. Well, having the time, a golf you know, cart. Helps gives you that professional. Yeah, look. we actually had two golf carts. We had we managed. Oh, to that's get, even that's even better. Yeah, yeah. we 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 got yeah. one up on the levee, like on the moonwalk. Yeah, <laughs> we pulled a, we pulled a golf cart from, and then we pulled one down into Jackson Square. Then if you, you have know. a clipboard and a radio, then you're yeah. Set. We, that's we, all we, you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, exactly. we know, we know too, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then uh, one of those badges, the uh, Landis. Laminate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we like totally, and we called like all our friends to show up with bicycles that day, and like we finished it, and after the first take. Um, after we did we did two takes of it in real time and we, it was like the sun was starting to come up and the guy who carried the camera was like I can't do it anymore like he's like that's cr- I, I just can't carry this camera man this thing weighs like you know he's like and I'm like Jesus oh we? I think it was Ralph Madison it was totally Ralph yeah it was Ralph <laughs> was he, and, this, and, the, and like at that time he was like yes I don't was, know how I know this but I do Ralph was <laughs> like the only steady cam operator like on this side of the Mississippi man you know right and he was like, I remember him like sitting in the hall, just like dripping wet, and like we'd put a cold towel over his head. He didn't have and, a shirt on, right? No. See. And we're just like, we're like, and I'm, I'm just sitting there like, damn, we didn't get it, and I, we were all kind of bombed, and like, Ralph like stands up and like throws a towel, and he goes, "Let's do one more." Yeah. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We go back and we like we totally get it, get it on the, we get it on the third take. That's great. Yeah. That's the Ralph man. And then, like idea. it took twenty. It was a twenty minute. You know, he had to carry that camera sure. for twenty minutes. Ah, that's a long. And time. then we just we we doubled. We sped the whole thing up to like double time or like quadruple time it and. You know, we had to send it to like LA to like this gigantic computer, and then like they made us one DVD that cost like five hundred dollars. And then um, the hurricane hit, and like we 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 didn't even have it. Like all the stuff was here, and like none of us had even actually seen the video. And it was here at the director's house, Henry Griffin. Yeah. And like oh, Henry did that. Henry, yeah. yeah. Okay. And like we were like, and like I didn't know until like like later, like when finally like sent my you know like I was like, where is it? And Henry's like, it's in New Orleans. I'm like, oh. You know, and lo and behold, it was okay. And like that became one of the first things after the hurricane. It was like we shot this right before the hurricane, right? And like it came out after the hurricane. And yeah. It was like at that moment when it came out, it was it was like, yes, sweet, yeah, you know? yeah. Was, yeah, that's it great. Big, it was a big moment for like for a lot of us to like be sure. able to like, hey, this is what we wanted to come back to. Exactly. You know, and the song was called "Complicated Life." You know, so holy was, shit, yeah, because. Um, I was up in uh, in New York uh, working as an editor, television editor, um, and you guys came and played at the uh, uh, Port Authority Piers. I want to say, what is that? It with the with the tent, the German tent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the Spiegel tent. The Spiegel. Oh, tent. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was part of like yeah. Bingo came and played. Yeah, it's part of yeah. Well, that right. Spiegel tent ended up at Bonnaroo. Eventually. It did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Go figure. Yeah, that was like that was a, a great time. I mean, after the hurricane, um, I stayed for the hurricane, and then eventually left and got to like Lafayette, 
Um, I mean, I, I don't want to get into like the whole story. It's out there somewhere. Um, and it was, you know, crazy time for everybody. Of course. Uh, but I did, I managed to get out of the city and like got to Lafayette and immediately like realized that like I had to get to New York cause that was mm -hmm. like kind of like where, you know, all of the musicians were kind of like ending up and that that's where all the benefits were taking place. Yes. And like, I was like, okay. And I was getting, to, you know, that was the first, I, 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 that was the first text message I got was like after the, the two days after Katrina was like something showed up on my flip phone and it was like a message. And I was like, what is this? They're like, oh, it's this thing called text messaging. And, yeah, the and, whole know, text messaging was like, thing was wow, like brand new. Everybody brand was new. Like, yeah, had, everyone like, had to learn text messaging. Like, at that moment, yeah. Yeah, New Orleans was the most literate uh, texting community in the country for that brief Out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Out of necessity. Yeah. But it was musicians looking for like, you know, they were like, hey, my bank account's down. I'm living, I'm here, I'm there. Like, we don't have our instruments. Right. And I'm like, yeah. immediately, it was like, right in that moment, I just, I, I you know, I guess, just like right after college, like you immediately like see a need for something and you like just you just immediately gravitate to it. And I, I knew that like there was like this thing like musicians specifically needed like they needed like instruments, they needed like money to get clothes and they needed to get back to New Orleans. Yeah. And like if musicians yeah. could get back to New Orleans, they were going to bring their bands back. They were going to bring their families back. And we sort of that was when I created the New Orleans Musicians Hurricane Relief Fund, you know terribly long name but that's exactly what it was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, we got to new york and we did a bunch of benefits we raised you know a bunch of money we did the big apple to the big easy and you know yep. that's when i met tom waits that's when i met dave uh, matthews that's where when i met trey anastasia i mean i met you know all the cats at mm -hmm. that show i met danny clinch who directed who's just mm -hmm. directed this beautiful documentary about us going to cuba it was like all like in 24 hours i basically met people that were going to be like Huge yeah, in, my, in the next like yeah. 15 years of my life these like yeah. guy these these people were going to be like you know a big part of my life you know yeah, um, yeah it, it all just it, it happened just like that you know so many people were hanging around in the east village after the storm i remember uh being there and sitting in this restaurant and just looking out on the street and seeing somebody pass like this like just that fast yeah instantly i knew it was davis rogan yeah and so i just had to run out you know i mean yeah. You know, you think about that as a coincidence in New York City. It's kind right. of crazy, but then also you think about the New Orleans personality and temperament. Yeah. And everybody's like, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? You know, exactly. in the East Village, right? Yeah, exactly. So everybody just gravitated toward the Yeah, I mean, I, I ran into Tom Thayer, like from DBA. <laughs> sure. Yeah, like, you right. know, like we were all at the Red Cross thing in New York, you know? Right. Yeah. And I was like, everybody was like exchanging information and figuring things out, you know? Yeah, we all went to, were you at that um, the Thanksgiving weekend after the storm? That meter show that was a, I don't even Thanksgiving. Was, um, Thanksgiving after the storm, it was the Friday or Saturday night after Thanksgiving. But. I'll tell you, you know hmm. what? We were. Um, I got my band back meters, together. Yeah. I mean, what was interesting is we had a tour booked. Yeah. Okay. We had dates on the books, you know, which was actually kind of like. It turned out to be a great thing because it, it gave us like it, it provided us with income. Yeah. Um, but I had to find my whole band. You know, and yeah. everybody was everywhere. I mean, I finally got my band back to New York. It was crazy. Like Probably several guys, issues. several guys. Like yeah. yeah, I mean, our trumpet player showed up with nothing. I mean, right. he didn't. Even, he was no carry on or anything. He had his red cross clothes on. Jesus Christ. Um, the people who he was staying with had given him a trumpet, like their kid's trumpet. You know, so he shows up with that, and and he had been he had been rescued off of like Elysian Fields, like you know, from the, like way deep, like out by the like. like like you know towards uh mm -hmm. lake Pontchartrain, mm -hmm. you know yeah, sure. i mean it was like you know 
you know, he, he lived on the first floor, but was rescued from like the second floor, you know, and yeah. it was just, it was just like, the, and like, it was the first time we all saw each other. We actually met, like, we actually saw each other all for the first time walking into like this BET benefit, you know, and it was, they wanted us to close the benefit and we're just like all walking in and we're all kind of like just still shell shocked PST. Yeah. yeah PST. You don't even realize it until yeah. they're like, okay, it's time to play. And you're like, oh my God, I haven't touched an instrument in like three weeks and like yeah. I haven't seen these people and like they're like here play do you know what it means to miss New Orleans We're oh like, my god what <laughs> 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 you know we couldn't even get through it man I mean you know you haven't even really talked to each other no right? but I mean like, like we're, we're just like we're trying to just like play the song yeah and it's just like you're you're just be, you become this robot you know um getting through it you know uh but we stayed in New York and then the Big Apple to the Big Easy took place and um, we set up our foundation. You know, I got our foundation up and running in New York, and um, we had our first office in New York. And as soon as we could get back to New Orleans, we got got back to New Orleans. And and what we recognized, I mean, what I knew immediately is that it wasn't just musicians, but it was like we recognized that there are like these cultural pillars of the community. You know, it could be like, um, you know. I don't know, W.O.Z., Offbeat, you know, uh, Louisiana Music Factory. It could be, like, you know, the minister at a church or, you know, it's not always, like, a musician that's, oh. that's like, responsible for, like, a community, you mm -hmm. know? And we just, we, 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 we designated 50 people and we were like, okay, these 50 people have to get back to New Orleans and, like, whatever it takes, like, this is, like, that's our goal is getting these people back. In right. addition to, like, you know, providing everything else, we are like, Whatever it takes. He's, yep. We're just like whatever it takes. Uh -huh. You know, that you know James Andrews. Yes. You right. Know, if these uh, fifty people are here, we're, on we're our way yeah. Back. You know, like you know, rebirth brass band. Yeah. Probably a chef or two. There's exactly. Community activists. Yeah. The but it, but it, it yeah. was. It, but it was also Louisiana Music Factory. I mean, it, and right. it was off. Sure. And yeah, it was right. it was Quintron. It was uh, totally. You know, it was it was it wasn't just like jazz guys or funk guys. It was like it was like you know important people that were like part of communities. It Culture was, and community barriers. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that happened, and and like shortly after that, we um, we just saw ourselves, you know, being sort of accepted in like uh, in a different light. You just sort of like saw people showing up to your shows, um, looking at you differently, you know, like mm -hmm. oh my god, you're like y yeah, like you've been entertaining us for the last fifty years, but now, like wow, this is like something that could disappear. It's like this, you know, thing that's not set in stone you know it's like this thing that you know and could, I imagine could get it's washed like away. also like this is why I just work so hard to rebuild my life yeah <laughs> because of this right listening mm -hmm. to this mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. eating that food hanging out with these people you know yeah it's like oh that's why yeah. I came back and we, we did the tours you know we, we were all trying to build our houses back up again I knew it was going to be about I knew it was going to take somewhere between like five and eight years to kind of get things back on track you know and during that time, we made this record um, uh, called Preservation, where we uh, invited uh, 20 guest vocalists to come to New Orleans and perform with us. And that record was, it was a huge turning point um, for us. Um, you know, one of the ideas was to have artists actually physically come to Preservation Hall, record in Preservation Hall, you know. We knew that there would be there's something special about that. We didn't oh, want to just great. we didn't just want to send a track to somebody, and for it not to have like a deeper meaning. Right. Yeah. You know, we wanted it right. to be with artists who, 
you know, like Jason Isbell, like Andrew Bird, like come to New Orleans, like Steve Earl, like when you're in New Orleans, let's record these tracks. Ani DeFranco, like Pete Seeger, yeah. Tom Waits. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, I mean, Dr. John, I mean, it was a, a special, special moment in time for us to make that record. And, um, you know, that, that, that was just one of those moments. That's when I met Jim James and that's when, you know, yeah. you know, our life, you know, changed again. And we, you know, ended up touring with my morning jacket and for the first time, like, you know, realized that we could play in a, you know, in a, in an arena. Yeah. You know, that, that like right. we, we could play like we right. could actually we were like our music translated to like a large to 20,000 people yeah you know that that there was there was something there yeah you know nice. From, on a personal note one of the reasons that yeah. I love that how you guys the fact that you guys came together is I I was into my morning jacket I don't know when it was but when they were playing you know 100 person clubs yeah uh, out when I was living in Portland Oregon yeah and I would have never put you two guys together. You know, like I wouldn't have put what I remembered from Press Hall Band and right. my morning to this thing that it was like, talk about <laughs> you seeing the rebirth and something just kind of blowing you away. Like, whoa, yeah. something's changed. I felt that way when I saw my morning jacket yeah. the first time in a really small, sweaty, smoky right. bar room in downtown Portland. Where, you know, back then where you just didn't see their faces the whole time. Right. Because they did that thing with, with the hair. hair and, yeah. And it was just so guttural, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, whatever, 10 years later, seeing y'all, y'all play together. Yeah. And Bonnaroo was just like, okay, this life, I mean, life, meeting, life is cool. I mean, I remember the morning, like, Jim came to the hall, for, you know, us meeting for the first time. Yeah. You know, and, like, I was walking down the carriageway and it was one of the the strangest like feelings you're actually like you it felt like i was walking towards like a mirror with my reflection in it you know <laughs> yeah and like it was it was like immediate an immediate you know brotherhood that we felt yeah you know it was like it's beyond genre it's like it's it's something much 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 more soulful yeah you that know? makes sense yeah and uh you know, just immediately his like he under he 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 understood it before he ever met me. You know what I mean? He uh-huh. understood New Orleans. He got it. He all you know, and then that was that was when it op- that door opened up where it was like this understanding about music not even being about like style or you know it's like either you are or you're not. Yeah, you know, there's like there's these, these two groups like you're, of you're people. It yeah, like you're either it. you're either like in this like yeah we got it group or you're in this like other thing. You know, um, I mean, and, yeah, and and it's 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 great because the people who get it like like they all you know they they, they stay together and like you know just you know somehow there's like this like glue that kind of keeps us all like you know floating around each other. You know, I think another good example of that in terms of genre bending, where it's just about getting it. Um, we had Eric, a kid koala, Eric, yeah, son on the podcast, yeah. And we didn't know, um, you know, I he had been at the Contemporary Arts Center when I worked there, doing uh, Newfonia must uh, Newfonia must fall. Yeah, were you there? Not, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was. I think I, yeah, I think I remember seeing you there. And when he came back through town, we went over to uh, the Republic. Is that where it was? And did a little, did a podcast with him. And I think we were very surprised. We had no idea going to that interview, or that that show, what an influence you had on him. Yeah. And New Orleans mm. had on him. Yeah. 
you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's another brother, you know. Yeah. Just like one of those people. I mean, you 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 know, from from like where I sit, you're like, you know, New Orleans has never like really had those those walls, you know. It's you know, you know, you you could you know, you'd you'd see somebody playing with you know. Dr. John, and then you'd see them at a funeral playing, and then you'd see them like playing with Fats Domino, and you know they'd play a brass band gig, and then they'd do right. this other thing, and it was just like, and it wasn't, and it was more than just like trying to go make a gig, you know, it wasn't yeah. like that New York thing, like I'm making a gig thing. It was like, no, this is like these are the guys I grew up with, right? Like, I grew up with him, and I grew up with that guy, and like I don't really hear any difference between like what Fats Domino is doing and what the Neville Brothers are doing, yeah, you know. I mean, they're kind of doing the exact same thing, like right. just, you know, a further generation, you know, sure. and uh, that's just that that's something that I just love about about this city, um, you know, is is that quality about about the musicians here, you know, and I, I and like being able to bring that to like other musicians and share that like just that little bit with other musicians has been so such a beautiful process for us as a band you know because we get so much from them we're like learning all this other stuff like he's teaching me how to scratch and how to mix and like what he's doing and how he does this and showing me how he did this and like who's making his videos and how he does his projections and how he does all these this amazing things and how they like amplify this thing and how you know how to use like an mpc and like i'm like okay this is a, wow okay so that's what it is he's like yeah and i'm like showing him how to like play a blues he's like oh my god that's what it is i'm like yeah you know, he's like oh my god okay and i'm like yeah you know you're just you're doing this thing you're just having this conversation and like that's that's at the, at the end of the day what a real like collaboration is is not like you know something that's like concocted like you know in an office somewhere but when like two musicians get to sit around a table and like break bread together and hang out and have like this mutual deep respect for each other and get to share like each other's experience with it you know with each other and then like not only get to share it but then you get you take that information and like it becomes part of your musical dna yeah you know you know it's not like we're gonna have like a a turntablist in our band but i mean you know we're gonna jam with you know if whenever koala's like you know yeah, of course. Like you know, because it, it comes from a place of respect and honor. Yeah. You know, he uh, he told us. I thought one of the most amazing things was he was talking about. He spent three weeks training himself on how to bend a note. I don't even know how you do this with a turntable, but he figured it out. How to bend a note like Louis Armstrong, right? I don't know a whole note. Maybe well, maybe like, it was like was a whole. It was, was a whole like, note bend. He was talking yeah. about a trombone too. He was like yeah, like sliding the notes. Yeah, sliding. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the Have you seen his video for Bass and Street Blues? I haven't. I'd, I'd uh, yeah, like check to, yeah. that out. Like okay. his brother animated it, oh, and cool. it's his. Um, it's his like his version of Bass and Street Blues, and it Sweet. was it was one it was, again. It was one of those like watching that. Like I I knew the video before I knew him. You know, yeah, right, so I already right. I already knew this guy was onto something. I was sure, like, right. okay, this this guy's like, he's way ahead of the game. Like, I don't even know who this guy yeah, is, but you yeah. can just tell like from his work that he's like, on you know he's he's on another you know planet. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what what's the future hold? If we can, we'll just take well, it out on this. Yeah, I mean, we we have um, a documentary that's uh, premiering at the uh, film festival here. And it's going to make the film, you know, the circuit. It's okay. uh, called well, a, a Tuba to Cuba. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what's the Dan, Danny Clinch? Danny Clinch and uh, Thomas Harrington, who's a local director, um, uh, and you know, one of the uh, producers on the film. 
and it uh, it follows us like shortly after the embargo was lifted in, in to Cuba, mm-hmm. we uh, we got the band down, um, and it, it it just follows the Preservation Hall band as we you know as we meet our sort of musical counterparts in Cuba, and uh, you know it's it's a uh, it's you know not just about you know this journey to Cuba, but it's also you getting to meet these very important New Orleans musicians and these very important Cuban musicians and, mm. and th- this bridge, you know, th- these two families that are like reuniting after, you know, what, like 50, 60 years? Yeah, 50, yeah. 60 years. Yeah. 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 I had heard somewhere a long time ago that the, one of the largest sources of employment in New Orleans was there were about 5,000 jobs before Castro came to power mm. that were tied up in the city of New Orleans in terms of trade between us and them. Right. And uh, so there is this like natural connection between Oh my New God, Orleans yeah. Cuba. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, there, there's a great book. I mean, you know, if, if we're, we're going to throw any books out there, I mean, Ned Sublette's book, um, The World That Made New Orleans, and you know, everybody here is like, you know, of course, Knee deep in New Orleans, so it's this is a book that that re- that um, t- you know e- examines New Orleans' um, connection to Cuba and to Haiti and you know to Africa and, and to to you know um, to Europe to Western Europe as well. But uh, it, it's it's a beautiful book. I mean, it's a, he's a musician himself, so it's and, and historian, so it's a it examines it but you could tell that like music is at the core like it's, right. it's, it's sort of right. like a cultural history yeah. of of new orleans and you, you begin to understand that like you know new orleans was more cuban than it was spanish you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. you know and then all of a sudden like you know what like like the early 1800s our population you know goes from 10,000 to 20,000 when 10,000 haitians you know populate the city you know during the time of their revolution sure so you're like okay wow wait oh so that's where this all like okay yeah you know we, we know it's a french city we know it's a, a spanish city and we you know we obviously know it's an african city we know it's a native american city but like you know when did it all happen how did it happen like where are the layers to this cake you know when, right. when did it all yeah. like when did they get put on you know right, right. yeah so then that uh, that movie premieres at the New Orleans Film Festival. Yeah, we well we showed it in Austin um, at New at, Orleans uh, premiere. Then. Yeah, the New Orleans premiere. Yeah. Uh, it's actually going to be closing out the festival. I think there's going to be oh, like great. two or three showings of it um, here. And nice. Obviously, we're we're you know um, like just thrilled to be able to share it, you know with our you know our hometown. It's something we're we're proud of and we know that you know new orleans is going to be you know proud of that's great so you guys did uh, south by is that where you we did, did it the, south by yeah. yeah cool how was that it was incredible yeah, um, good i mean there was yeah you know you're it's really strange watching yourself on a big screen like that it's um hmm. you know especially something that's this revealing about yourself you're you feel um exposed but sure. you know there, there's you know there's moments in the film where you know it was um it's it's powerful. I mean, it's powerful in 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 a way that I've never seen a film about New Orleans um, tell such a, an important side of of, of our story yeah. that's that's really hasn't been explored in this way before. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything ben, else? Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Oh uh, man, just you know, press hall any night of the week. <laughs> Seven nights a week. Yeah, it's unbelievable, <laughs> man. Um, I mean. You know, I was sitting there talking with somebody the other day and just kind of trying to calculate, like, how many shows we do there, like, 
how many nights we're open, how many people we get, we employ, and it's unbelievable. I mean, we're open 360 days a year, um, five shows a night, two bands a night. The Preservation Hall band travels, you know, 100 shows a year outside of New Orleans. Our foundation sponsors about 500 activities a year in and out of New Orleans. You know, there, there, there'll be days where we have four groups of, of schools, you know, four school groups come through and experience yeah. music in the hall. Yeah. You know, and, and you, just, you, you're like, you just can't believe that it went from, from you know, 12 years ago having our door shut to now being the most vibrant, you know, uh, music hall in the, in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that much, I, I don't know anybody that's presenting that kind of stuff, like that much music, you know? Well, it's that's right here. I mean, you know? preservation's in the name. Exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to, yeah. to, to be able to continue to be a part of. And, yeah. um, you know, just something we're proud of. You know, we're, we're proud to be, you know, part of this community and, um, support the community in you know our own way. Yeah, yeah. great, Ben. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Absolutely, it. it's great. Thank yeah. you all, man. Thanks yeah. so much. It's a good life, babe. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, episode one thirty four, six, one thirty six. Excuse and me. <laughs> uh, the great Ben Jaffe. Thanks for coming thanks on so again. Appreciate, man. Appreciate it. it. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next time. It's a good life, babe. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. Yeah, you're right. <laughs>